If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, verse 7. Our passage is very short this morning, but it's uh, packed with important things for us to consider. John 15, 7. It's Jesus speaking to His disciples. If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, Father, in these next few moments, would you uh, captivate our hearts with who you are and our great need for you and our great dependence upon you, especially expressed through prayer. Teach us about prayer this morning. Guide our hearts. Change us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today's message, as I've just mentioned, about prayer is a departure from our current series on the book of Romans, but it concerns something of utmost importance for the, for the believer, not only as an individual, but as the corporate body of Christ. This topic of prayer, it's essential for the Christian. But when I say that, prayer is a curious thing in terms of a topic to think about because we all acknowledge that the Scriptures clearly teach that we should be praying people. That we should pray that prayer is effective. But few of us actually pray. Few of us actually pray on a consistent basis especially corporately, maybe as individuals, but especially corporately, we struggle. Now, why is that? If it's so obvious, if the answer is so clear from the Scriptures, why do we neglect prayer? Well, there are many excuses that we use. I'll mention a few of them, but you could add to this list. Perhaps we say to ourselves, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to say. How do I know what God's will is? Aren't we supposed to pray according to His will? If I don't know what that is, how am I going to do it? And maybe we think, God is just not responsive to my prayers. My prayers just hit the ceiling and go no further. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus gives us a shocking invitation to prayer. At first glance, it seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Seems to promise too much. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Is that how you think about prayer? But before we get into what this verse teaches us about prayer... I think it would be beneficial to take a step back for, for a few moments and to be reminded of something which the Bible makes very clear. Something we need to take note of because we are prone to neglect prayer. And we also are prone to have this spiritual disconnect when it comes to prayer. We say, I believe in prayer. We're a, belie- we're a prayer- praying church. We, we believe in the power of prayer, but we don't do it. 
we're prone to that disconnect. So we must first recognize, you'll see point one on your outline, an important biblical truth. Throughout Scripture, believers are praying people. Early on in the Scriptures, as early as Genesis 4, and probably before that, but here we get an explicit reference to the godly people, distinguished from the ungodly, were those who called upon the name of the Lord. They're said to have walked with God. And that's sort of an all-encompassing term to describe communion, ongoing communion, listening, speaking to, implying prayer. Other phrases in Scripture, they called out to the Lord. They sought God's face. They drew near to God. These are all ways that the godly man is described in Scripture. Other places, this trait of being a praying people is described in terms of restored believers. And when I say that, I mean those promises from the Old Testament that speak of partaking in the new covenant promises in Christ. Listen to the prophet Zephaniah in chapter 3. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord. See, he's gonna, God's going to make a people for himself that do just that. Call upon his name. In the book of Isaiah, we have this uh, description of God's people in God's presence in this symbolic language that Jesus actually refers to in the Gospels. This is from Isaiah 56, verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So speaking of God's house, this, you know, the dwelling place of God with his people will be characterized by being a house of prayer. Prayer for all peoples. And then moving into the New Testament, Paul addresses the church at Corinth in these words. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's associating this characteristic with true believers everywhere that they call upon the name of the Lord. Prayer is also an expression of our spiritual adoption in Christ as Christians. Later in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 15, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see... At conversion, the Holy Spirit creates a new spiritual and relational context which is conducive to prayer. Not only conducive to prayer, but the Spirit later in that chapter is said to intercede in our hearts and actually stimulate prayer. This is who we are as a people. We are a praying people. One who calls upon the name of our God. 
Now, Thomas Boston, the Puritan, made a comment on this verse that I think is instructive for us. He says, The children of God are all praying persons. There is no child so unnatural as to be still in the Father's presence and never to converse with Him. What about you this morning? Do you profess to be a child of God, yet rarely converse with Him? Do you talk about Him, maybe hear others talk about Him, hear about God, but never actually talk to Him, or rarely talk to Him? We need to examine ourselves in light of these truths. Now, on the flip side, ungodliness in Scripture is expressed by those who do not draw near to God or call upon His name. Again, the prophet Zephaniah. This is a time when God was speaking to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, and He was pronouncing judgment for their sins. And listen to what some of those sins included. They have turned back from following the Lord and do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. That sounds like a lack of prayer to me. Later in chapter 3, Jerusalem is said to not listen to God's voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord and she does not draw near to her God. And perhaps most striking, the psalmist in Psalm 10, verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. You see, out of pride, the wicked man is said to not seek God and, and really think as if God doesn't exist. What does this have to do with prayer for us this morning? John Owen captures the connection in stark fashion. Listen to this. He that prayeth not says in his heart, there is no God. It's a practical atheism. It's acting, living our daily lives as if God does not exist. Not drawing near to God in prayer for counsel and for help shows that He is no better to us than what the Scriptures describe as a dead idol. Again, listen to the prophet Zephaniah. God pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem says, I will punish the men who are complacent, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will He do ill. What it's saying there is, their perspective is, God's not going to do anything, good or bad, in relation to us. And perhaps implied in there is the thought that He can't do anything. He's irrelevant to our daily lives. Are you tempted to think that God is like that? when it comes to prayer. 
somehow that he cannot or won't do anything, even if you did call out to him. That everything that happens to us in our daily lives is either something we make happen or happens to us by chance or some combination between the two. Scripture tells us what is essential to true faith is the belief that God is a living God and a rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 11.6. It's essential to true faith. Now think for a moment, what draws you away from prayer to neglect prayer? And perhaps more importantly, ask yourself this question. What does that reveal about your view of God? Because that's tied up into all of this about prayer. Who you believe God to be. The bottom line is if you're a Christian, prayer is the most characteristic and natural thing for you to do as a child of God. Listen to the words of J.C. Ryle. You might as well try to persuade a man to live without breathing as to persuade the possessor of a right heart to live without praying. Tell me what a man's prayers are and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. Prayer is the spiritual pulse. By this, spiritual health may be tested. I think there's a real truth bound up in that statement. In my experience, it is in the area of prayer that genuine faith, the rubber meets the road. What you truly believe about who God is and his relation to you is tested in terms of our prayer life. How is your spiritual pulse this morning? You know, it's... It's sad to me that many of us, you know, will we'll go to great lengths to make sure our physical condition is in good shape. We'll exercise, we'll eat good, we'll go to the doctor like that as soon as we feel anything uh, the slightest that's off with us. We will get numerous uh, prescriptions to treat whatever might ail us. But at the same time, we let our souls flatline with little urgency or effort to revive them, especially seeking the Lord in prayer. Now, obviously, there are no legitimate excuses to not pray. But more importantly, and I think this gets to our text this morning, there's a much more positive way to look at it, too. Think of the unexhausted possibilities of prayer in light of asking for whatever you wish and it being done for us. However, as you hear that, again, I'm sure there's a nagging question in your mind that says, well, how do we know if we're asking or wishing for the right things in prayer so that we can receive from God? Well, God gives us two gracious conditions for asking for whatever we wish in prayer. That's point two on your outline. He gives us two gracious conditions. We need to realize that these conditions are not 
things that take away from prayer or what we could hope for in prayer. They do not restrict prayer in a negative sense. It's not sort of a catch in the fine print of prayer. These gracious conditions do not restrict our prayers, but ultimately enhance them in terms of our receiving from God. The first one is, if you abide in me. That's the context here if you look at the earlier part of chapter 15. It's the abide in the vine, abide in Christ passage. And there's a direct connection between abiding in Christ and effective prayer as this verse makes explicit. We might also say that prayer is the natural outworking of the truth that apart from Christ we can do nothing. Now, other passages in the near and broader context help us unpack what this means to abide in Christ. It's a holistic thing, first of all. It involves all of who we are. But in John 15.10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So one aspect, one important aspect of this abiding is Christ-like obedience, which is connected to our prayer life. 1 John 3, 22 and following says, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So there's this deep spiritual union with Christ which involves an outworking of obedience which is tied to your prayer life. I don't know if you think about your prayer life in that way. But they're very much connected that our abiding in Christ through love and obedience is a necessary component of the kind of wishing and asking that Jesus speaks, of, speaks about. You know, we are to abide in Christ in obedience not to merit our answers from God. Christ is the one who does that. But we abide in obedience in order to be aligned with his purposes and priorities. In our hearts and the behavior that issues from our hearts. So what are some practical implications of this? Well, it seems to me in my experience with prayer and thinking about prayer is that we tend to think about it more in terms of a riddle to figure out. You know, that question earlier, what is God's will? You know, until I figure that out, you know, what's the use of praying? We think of it as a riddle more than having to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. This holistic relationship involving obedience. This, involve, this raises an important question for us to consider. Do we, in, in prayer, do we want answers, particular answers, more than we want to be Christ-like? Maybe we want the answer, but, you know, don't make me do all that 
hard work. These are, these are not two separate pursuits. These are connected, intimately connected. That brings us to the second gracious condition that Jesus gives involved in receiving whatever we wish for in prayer. And my words abide in you. We are to pray according to God's will, as I said earlier. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. What better way to do this than to pray according to God's word? Christ's words abiding in us richly. Influencing how we pray and what we pray for. I came across this quote a few years back and it, it, it really encapsulates this idea perfectly. And I would encourage you to write it down. It's by Matthew Henry. And he says, God's word must be the guide of your desires and the ground of your expectations in prayer. God's word must be the guide of your desires and the ground of your expectations in prayer. We are to plead the promises of God. If you look, if you trace uh, the recorded prayers in the scriptures, Old and New Testament, you'll find them doing just that. You'll find them appealing to the promises of God, appealing to the character of God as he had previously revealed himself, praying according to what God had revealed. That's the constant theme. You may ask, well, can I pray about other things, other details of life, health situations that come up? Certainly. But if you pray for all of those things to the neglect of what God has revealed, you're out of step with the scriptures in terms of priority in prayer. That's why we recite the Lord's Prayer. We have a great list of God's priorities, what's on his heart, and what we pray for. There's many practical advantages to praying according to God's word. Let me just list a few. Well, first of all, we know that we're praying according to his revealed will. That should remove doubt and that excuse that I mentioned earlier. It also helps us to keep focused in prayer. How many of us have trouble focusing in prayer? Maybe especially in corporate prayer, perhaps. Our minds wander, we're distracted. Sometimes we never finish the prayer because we got distracted along the way and started thinking about something else. Well, having God's Word in front of us gives you something to attach your mind to, to focus upon, to keep you from wandering. And I think it also helps us to pray with an inspired variety. There's many things that God mentions in prayer that are important, not only for our personal growth, but what God, God's heart is for others 
And it's primarily, if you look, especially in Paul's prayers, it's the sanctification of believers. You know, when we pray for other people, are we praying for their spiritual growth? Growth in Christ's likeness, that they would walk in a manner worthy of their calling, things like that. There's a whole variety of things that we can be praying for according to the scriptures. And I think this would help us to avoid, which I'm guilty of at times, uh, for those of you who are parents of younger children, when you pray with your children, when you pray at meals, when you pray before bedtime, those types of things, how many of our prayers are just mindless rote prayers? Same phrases, same things, blah, 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 amen, I just want to get them in the bed. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, having God's word before us will help us to teach our kids indirectly to pray according to God's will with inspired variety. I think that's essential. And also, lastly, I'll just mention this, that it's easy to incorporate into your daily Bible reading. What do you pray for that day? Well, pray according to what you read that day. Now, of course, that assumes you have a reading plan. If you don't have one, I strongly encourage you, not just for your prayer life, but your spiritual health, period, to be taking in God's word. Get on a reading plan that will take you through all of the counsel of God. What a sad thing to get to the end of your life as a professing Christian and only be able to say, you know, I know God said John 3.16 and this other verse, but I never took the time to read all that he has said. Get on a reading plan and pray according to what you read. So prayer involves asking for whatever we wish as we're abiding in Christ, as his words are abiding in us. Then we'll know what to pray for. And we'll be praying according to God's will. And we will surely receive. I want to close with just some reflections, some further reflections on all of this. And there's much that could be said about prayer, and that was the challenge of putting together this message. We have some clear things from this verse, from John, but there's many other verses. There's many other things to say about prayer. But I just want to leave a few thoughts with you. In light of this verse and others, there's a very profound truth that you need to grasp. It's this, that prayer changes us, not God. Your whole perspective about prayer can hinge on that truth. Prayer changes us, not God. It's a gracious gift to us. You see, prayer is not about trying to get God to do what He doesn't want to do to begin with. Why would we ever want that? Rather, it's about God using prayer to align our hearts to His purposes for our good. And God helps us to pray that way. 
Not not merely by answering our prayers, but by changing our asking. He changes what we ask for. According to those two gracious conditions that I just mentioned in this verse. As we abide in Him and His words abide in us. We're growing in those types of abidings, right? We're growing to be more obedient, more Christ-like. And His Word is dwelling more and more richly in us, influencing our thinking and what we wish for so that our prayers are becoming conformed to Christ in His intercessions and the Spirit's intercession in our hearts. See, God is involved in this whole process. And he's conforming our prayers to what he wants so that we will surely receive in prayer. And these two, this twofold abiding that I talked about in John 15, 7, this helps us to prevent the error or falling into the error that James highlights. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and to spend it on your passions. Rather, God is steering us toward what he is passionate about as we abide in Christ and his words in us. And the good news there is God is helping us in this, in this process, so that we will surely receive as Jesus makes clear. And getting back to the issue of your view of God, that is one of the most important things about your prayer life. Who you believe God to be. I want to leave this thought with you that God is an inexhaustible fountain. When God leads you to pray, he means for you to receive. And we pray and receive that the Father may be glorified in the Son and that our joy may be full. You may ask, how how do we glorify a God who is an inexhaustible fountain? By going to him and asking. I don't know if you think about prayer that way, but you asking the Father to help you, to meet your needs, to guide you, that glorifies God. That doesn't bother God. He's not weary of you doing that. He delights to do that. He's a fountain. He's not limited in his capacity to respond. You can't out-ask God and his ability to answer. Rather, you glorify him in it. And contrary to what the enemy would have you to believe, God loves being a giver. We just sang about that in the John Newton hymn, one of those lines in there. He loves being a giver and supplying your needs as his children. And he knows how to give good gifts to you. Okay, now all of this is important to know. But if we don't actually take the time to pray, you miss the whole point of what Jesus is saying and the rest of the scriptures are saying. And we really demonstrate unbelief. 
I guess it comes down to this. Do you believe that our God is a living God? That he's living and active? That he's responsive to the prayers of his people? Or is he a dead idol who is functionally not there? Who is your God? He is surely the living and true God. So brothers and sisters, let us show ourselves to be of the faith by calling upon his name in prayer as Jesus instructs us. Are we not a needy people? Do we not have any needs? We need to go to the fountain, go to the source, and glorify him in it. Prayer is easy to put off. Yes, I need to do that at some point. I need to pray about this. Keep pushing it away. Keep pushing it away. And it never gets done. Do not delay. Again, in the words of J.C. Ryle, regarding prayer specifically, he says, delay is from the devil. Delay is from the devil. Do not refuse him who is speaking to you this morning. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we thank you and praise you for the privilege of prayer that you are living and active in and around us and that you are conforming us. If we are in Christ, you are conforming us to be more of a praying people. May that be true of us at St. Andrews. May we not functionally interact with one another and seek to minister as if you do not exist. Apart from you, we can do nothing. May we never, may we never seek to do things of ourselves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.